If we're going to become a dynamic presence, if we're going to become the movement of God, the hope bearers, then there's going to have to be gospel alignment. There's going to have to be heart alignment within us. It has to be the obsession of leadership. This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loritz. Well, today we continue in Crawford's series, For His Kingdom. We're studying the book of Matthew, and today's broadcast takes us to chapter 28 with a message titled, Why We Are Here. We'll be challenged by Crawford's statement, which says that if our lives are built around any other purpose than God's purpose, then we don't really have any purpose. Hope you'll stay with us for today's study. If you're new to our program, a big welcome. Our speaker has been in Christian ministry for over 50 years, serving as a pastor, conference speaker, seminary professor, and author. His books include Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Leadership as an Identity, and For a Time We Cannot See. The messages we feature on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's 15 years as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Today, Crawford spearheads the Christian leadership mentoring ministry known as Beyond Our Generation. Well, let's jump into today's message. Again, our text is Matthew chapter 28. Here's Crawford Loritz on Living a Legacy. One of the reasons why uh, we went to the book of Matthew, and actually we believe it's paralleled with where we are as a church here, is because um, there's a sense in my heart that uh, we needed to take a vertical look at, at what we're all about as a people of God. Uh, in the West here, particularly in North America, there is this temptation to rebrand Christianity. There's this temptation to have a privatized brand of Christianity, where God, the Bible, the promises of God, all things church, all things Christian, they're there as resources for me to help me live a better life, to help me deal with my crises, to help me overcome my hassles, to help me in my journey. Well, the problem with that, and uh, yeah, God does meet us, and he does meet our needs, don't get me wrong, but that, that's not the vision of biblical Christianity. And Matthew, in his gospel, speaks from a vertical perspective. It says that the message of Matthew is that we exist for the interest of the king and the kingdom. And so we went through the book of Matthew, and we see Jesus moving through, and, and the kingdom manifest, uh, manifesto, and the, uh, we call that the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and uh, what he represented, and, and how he was counterintuitive, and that the king came, and the king was celebrated, the king was rejected, the king was crucified, now the king is resurrected, and he exerts his authority, and he says what this kingdom should look like until he comes. And that's how you have to understand the Great Commission. It's not one-off. It is. It is the culmination and the celebration, the grand climax of what the king represents. And so this is what he says to us. Let me read these verses to you. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of 
the age. I've entitled the message, Why We Are Here. When you look back over your walk with Christ, aren't you overjoyed with the people who poured themselves into you? Can you remember those early days in which you trusted Jesus? Now, some of us became believers as kids, and we don't have all of that there. But I even want to challenge you. Remember those seasons of wandering when you had to internalize your Christianity and the crisis that you went through? Then all of a sudden, God raised up people to pour into you. Don't you remember those tender moments when you were delightfully obsessed with Jesus? You had questions, and there were people that you turned to, and they had answered those questions. They prayed for you. They prayed with you. They hung in there with you. And you had a desire in your heart to do the same thing. Don't you remember that? One of the great problems with us as Christians is that for whatever reason, and I, for whatever reason, the longer we walk with Jesus, um, that feeling, that emotion, that tenderness, that, those experiences tend to evaporate from us. Other things become more important. Other processes in the Christian life become more important. And it's sad because I, I think as Christians, we, we can be as purposeless and aimless as the culture in which we live. The lack of fire. And it, and it wasn't just the newness of it. I, I think and it wasn't just the newness of it. It was the newness, but it was the rightness of it that made the difference in our hearts and lives. I'm, I'm going to say some direct things today, um, and, and bear with me on this. Um, life is God's opportunity to declare his glory. I'm going someplace with this. And the centerpiece of his glory is the work of Christ on the cross. That's the centerpiece of his glory. And the bearers of that mission and purpose are Christians, and that would be us. I'm going to use a term here. Every follower of Jesus Christ should be delightfully obsessed with the words I just read to you. Now, I made that statement of that life is God's opportunity to declare his glory. That's the only reason why we're here. That is the only reason why I'm here. There's no other purpose for your life. If your life is built around, around any other purpose than God's purpose, then you do not have any purpose. Your purpose and my purpose is woefully inadequate. And the centerpiece of the glory of God in human history is the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we're to be bearers of that message. I could get sidetracked into historical theology here. From the very beginning, we were created in the image of God. Mankind was created after the fall of Satan. Marriage was created in the context of that fall. And the only reason why marriage and the family exist is so that we would replicate and multiply image bearers, image bearers of God in human history so that all of fallen humanity would become jealous of a relationship with God and what that meant. The only reason why the nation of Israel existed was because God wanted a special people who would manifest his glory and be image bearers to unbelievers. The only reason why the church exists is because God is producing image bearers. And so when you look at the Great Commission, it's not a program, it is not a process, it is a statement of purpose. 
It is what image bearers do. All of theology, in terms of relational theology, is summarized in the Great Commission. All of mission and mandate. Now, the question is, you know, obviously, let me just say our mission can be summarized in two words. Everything that we're about as Christians, transactionally, functionally, practically, the only reason why we're here can be summarized in two words. Make disciples. The reason why you're born, the reason why we're born again, the reason why we're down here, the reason why we trust Jesus and we need to snatch it out of the world is because functionally, we are spiritual image bearers. Functionally, he wants us to make disciples. That's our mission. Well, the question is, why is it hard for some of us to make disciples? Obviously, there's the devil. Perhaps I should tip my hand. I'm going to define this a little bit later on, but I'll say it right now in order to give these reasons or suggestions context. Uh, uh, To make disciples, to be disciple makers, can be reduced to these two observations. Discipleship is not a process or a program. There is a bit of a process here, and we'll get back to that because it's written in the text here. But discipleship in the New Testament means to center your life around the person of Christ, allegiance to his personhood, all that he is, and also, number two, to order your life around his mission. The person and mission of Jesus, the person of mission and mission of Jesus, that's what discipleship is all about. And by making disciples means that we boldly articulate the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to people all around us, and we look for opportunities to engage them with Jesus, to bring them to to Christ, and then to challenge them to live in such a way that they do the same thing also. I've just summarized New Testament discipleship. Now, if that's the centerpiece of what we're all about, if that's what everything is all about in life, the reason why we're here, if that's so, then why is it so difficult? Why is it so hard? Now, there are any number of reasons, but I, I, through my many years of ministry, I've articulated seven of them, and they just came out quickly like this, because some of them have my name on them. I think one of the reasons why it's our hard for us to do is because of fear. We're afraid. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of what people are going to think about us. We don't want to trespass boundaries. And plus, we live in the context of people that their truth is my truth, and I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to seem rude or intrusive or whatever it might be, or is scared, fear. I think another reason why we don't do it is because our sense of inadequacy. Man, I got my own stuff to deal with. I ain't in heaven yet. I'm messing my own life. What am I going to tell somebody about engaging with Jesus? So we've got the sense of inadequacy. I think third reason why we don't, don't do it is simply it's a lack of training. I mean, I, 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 show me how. I don't, don't know how to do it. I think a fourth reason why we don't do it is because, and please forgive my directness, is flat-out disobedience. We ain't going to do it. So that's the reason why we're not doing it. I don't want to do it, so I'm not going to do it. We're Christians, so we camouflage that disobedience with nice little, you know, synonyms and whatever. But it's just disobedience. I'm not doing it. Another reason we don't do it is because of distraction. We, we allow secondary issues to become primary passions in the Christian life. 
We, get, we, we confuse discipleship or we, we, we title, we put the word discipleship over everything that we do as Christians, which is not necessarily the case. I do believe that Jesus has something specific in mind. Any discipleship that does not have replication and multiplication in mind is not New Testament discipleship. Just because you have a Bible study, you're in a Bible study, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're engaged in discipleship. Just because you're engaged in a small group does not necessarily mean that you're engaged in discipleship. Just because you've been with a group, well, I've been with this same group, and we've been discipling each other for 30 years. I'm saying, okay, have you, have you multiplied? Have you replicated? Have you challenged people? No, no, we get together. It's really, that's, well, don't call that a discipleship. That's not discipleship. And so we, we, we end up being distracted by other things and rebranding the term. I think another reason why we don't do it is because of disconnection. Um, you know, and, and I think that this is, this is the Achilles heel of Christianity, and I struggle with this. I've said this up here many, many times. The more you're a believer, particularly a dude like me, whose who's, who's job is occupational Christianity, you're Christians all the time. And the longer you serve, the, the down, the underbelly of, of being involved in the church, you go to a small group, I go to this Bible study, I go to this women's Bible study, I go to the men's thing, I go to the fellowship institute, I go to this thing, I go to that thing. Well, the problem is, is that you, you know, we, we kind of like erase your margins and opportunities to be involved with your neighbors and to be involved with people in the community and this kind of thing. And, and the irony is, is that we've lost touch with unbelievers. You might work with them, but in terms of, friends and hanging with them? And I think another reason why we don't do it is because of a cold, compromised heart. I think we just settle for a nominal Christianity with little demands on us. That doesn't require us to step out of anything that we're not comfortable with or we don't trust. And our hearts have grown cold we know the words, and we know we get, we're involved at a certain level. But there's no, there's, no, there's no white hotness about our Christianity any longer. We've become consumers. It's all about me being happy, me being happy with what Crawford or somebody else says up front and how we're doing stuff in the service, or we didn't do this, or you did this, or you're not doing this, or whatever. And you just, our hearts are lukewarm and cold. But here's the point, if we want to know and experience a life of purpose and meaning, then we must be about what our Savior is about. That's the bottom line. There's nothing heavy about my message today. There's nothing heavy about this text today or the other text that I will refer to in a few moments. But, but the, 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 the bottom line is this, that if you want, to know, you want to know and experience purpose and meaning in your life, then you're going to have to be about what the Savior is about. And some of us have been struggling with that, struggling with a lack of passion, struggling with lack of mission, struggling with lack of purpose and this kind of thing. I got a newsflash for you. You've been looking in the wrong place. You think it's a, a, a you know, different kind of job, and maybe I'm not using my skills the right way, and maybe I'm doing this the right way, and maybe this is not working out for me, maybe I'm just like not you know, plugged in the right place or, or, or whatever. I got a newsflash for you. That could be some of that, but I got to tell you, at its core, at its core, if you want purpose, if you want meaning, then we're going to have to order our lives around what is most meaningful to Jesus. And if this church is going to continue to move off the dime, if we're going to become a dynamic presence, if we're going to become the movement of God, the hope bearers in this community, 
We're not there yet, but if we're going to become that, then there's going to have to be gospel alignment. There's going to have to be heart alignment within us where we not only talk about a mission statement, we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus, love God, passion, love that, that has got to be, that has got to be what makes us pound the table and weep. It has to be the obsession of leadership. The obsession of our body. Because it's the obsession of Jesus. So, my outline is very simple. What we do, why we do it, and what we depend on. What we do is found right here in the text. What we do. After Jesus' death and resurrection, everything is different. It comes now, resurrection, ruling authority. And when he makes this statement in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, he is articulating his authority as the king. What they tried to do to me did not work. In fact, it did work. It fit into the program and plan of God. I paid for the sins of the world. I've resurrected. And now it's my kingdom that's going to be expanded. And so you need to understand what I'm about ready to tell you is all that really matters ultimately in your life and what takes place through this kingdom until I return. And that's the reason why he uses the statement, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. I want you to know that your buddy's not telling you to do this, but the God of the universe is telling you to do this. He then proceeds to give us the mandate and the mission. Now, the focus here is on one thing. There's only one command in these verses, only one. You've heard me say this before. I've actually alluded to this passage, preached on it here before. There's only one commandment in this text, only one, only one, only one. There are three, there are three participles that we'll get to in a few moments, but only one commandment. The, the one commandment is make disciples. Make disciples. Jesus did not want his followers to be confused. He didn't want us to be confused. He didn't want us to be confused about what, what he wanted to do. He did not give us some long paragraph. He did not give us a 10-page uh, white paper about scenarios and possibilities of what we could do. He summarized everything that he wanted us to do in two words, make disciples. And it triggered in the disciples' minds, but they knew they, they had implications with that because they had spent three and a half years with them. Make disciples. Make disciples. Now, the best way of understanding making disciples is the whole concept of apprenticeship. I think that's probably the best way of understanding what Jesus means by this. Because he does tell us is there are three ways in which he wants us to do this, or the three activities that, that causes us to produce disciples. But, but, but uh, uh, these followers of Jesus uh, uh, knew that Jesus was hitting at five critical relationships that an apprentice or disciple has with his master. Number one, it means to attach themselves to a teacher. It's a commitment to that teacher. Number two, it's identified with him. It wasn't just attachment to the teacher, but it was wanting to be like that teacher. You identified with him. Um, uh, number three, you learned from him. You submitted and you listened and you received from him. Number four, you lived with him. Dynamic community, togetherness. They lived together 
And this also speaks of, uh, hints at how we ought to do discipleship. It is not just the dissemination of information about all things Christian. It is the sharing of life, the sharing of Christ's life through my life with your life, and we get close together and we live in that community. And then ultimately it means to do what he did. That's where the replication comes in. It's not just hearing and receiving and identifying with and, and, and being intertwined with. No, no, you gotta get out. You gotta do it. And everything about discipleship is meant to be Christ-exalting transformation. Christ-exalting transformation. And that's what discipleship is all about. I think the signature of discipleship is a changed life. There is no biblical discipleship if there's not transformation. There's none. There's none. To engage with Jesus means that your life is changed. To engage with Jesus means that I confront my sin. I confront the private areas of my life. I confront the nasty stuff about myself. There are no nooks and crannies at the searchlight of the Scripture. I mean, so, so when we talk about discipleship, it's not a plan. It's not a series of books. It's not a class that you go to. But it's someone that you become like. So I want us to hear this today. This is where the dynamic and movement of the church takes place. Through the years, I've been to some discipleship conferences and this kind of thing that has left me flat because all they did was market the process, market a plan. And the dynamic of the person of Jesus was somehow buried in, in the charts and the scenarios. And here's what you do first, here's what you do next, here's what you do that. And that becomes very transactional. But discipleship is not just transactional, it's transformational. Uh, Dr. Leon Morris, in his wonderful commentary in the book of Matthew, he actually comments on this, makes this observation. He says, Jesus is not giving a command that will merely secure nominal adherence to a group, but one that will secure wholehearted commitment to a person. The best way of demonstrating functionally our allegiance to Jesus is by making disciples. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, addressing some of the deficiencies many of us have related to Jesus' command to make disciples. Well, next week, the second half of this message titled, Why We Are Here, from Matthew chapter 28. Crawford will offer help in establishing a more consistent practice of making disciples, and we'll look for you again right here. If you missed out on the first part of today's message, you can hear the complete broadcast on our website, livingalegacy.org, or on many of your favorite streams. Crawford's messages are also available to download for free. Look for the MP3 link on our website, livingalegacy.org. Thank you so much for taking time to email a short note. Here's a recent one from Randy of Nebraska. The recent message about the parable of the talents had a great dual meaning. The bearing of interest and increase of wealth was a result of how each servant used what they were given. The true parallel here is to point out how believers can take the gifts they are given and invest them and increase the bearing of spiritual fruit within their lives. This increase is a profit that can be invested into the eternal kingdom, which is far richer than earthly wealth. Thank you, Randy. Great to hear from you. And you can email us, too, at legacy at moody.edu. Just a short note would be so helpful. Legacy at moody.edu. 
Thanks for being part of our study today. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.